I think oh, it's like be still are oozing hearts. The show's about to start. Clutch your pearls and clutch your D cups. The final girls are about to team up. Be still are beating hearts. No, it's the show's about to start. <laughs> Shut the fuck. <laughs> clutch your pearls and clutch your D cups. Final girls are about to team up. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking lyrics aren't even correct. Oh, is that wrong? <laughs> oh, Gray just texted me. I want to die because he can. Because he can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to our November episode. As always, I am Anya. I'm Alex. And we're talking about an interesting pick this month. Uh, courtesy Listen, of Anya. I'm not going to take credit I for can't. <laughs> While I have to take credit for picking it, I cannot be held accountable because this is a pick that neither of us had seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to be fair, which is something I could bring in the fun facts, so I'll just bring it up now. This is um, directed by um, Bill Rebane, who are... Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Am I ever? It doesn't matter. Move on. Um, he also directed The Giant Spider Invasion, which we funny, didn't even realize that when I made my pick, which is obviously a movie we did earlier mm-hmm. this year, which was also my pick. And well, I, I had a lot of fun with that. Yeah. So, Bill, you let me down. Well, that one had Big Mama Spider, you know? Exactly. That really saved Big Mama one, Spider. Yeah. You're fair. You're fair. You're fair. Um, but yeah, I mean, before we get into that, just a quick thank you to everybody that listened to all of our October stuff. We really jammed it all in. Sure One did. main episode, four minisodes. Um, if you haven't listened to them yet or you're like, what? You did four minisodes? Yes, we did! And you can listen to them right now. They're all live. Have a listen. They're very fun. Um, but now to, to Blood Harvest. Uh, as I previously stated a moment ago, it, for both of us, was a first-time watch. I will speak for myself now that... As per usual, I watched it with honorary girl who cried before Cornelia because when I was like, oh, what's well, this horror movie and like Tiny Tim is in it and he's like dresses like a clown. She was like, oh, yeah, like, can we watch that together? And I was like, <laughs> for sure. Yes. And <laughs> we're watching it. And as we were watching it, all I kept saying, I was like, oh, fuck. Like, Alex is gonna be so pissed at me that I picked this stupid fucking movie. I'm like, I'm pissed at me for picking this piece of shit. Um, so to blanket statement from the top. Not a fan. Not a fan of this movie. Um, I don't have any interest in rewatching it. Um, there was not enough for me, e- even in terms of like, okay, yeah, there's a bunch of shit I didn't like, but like, on this hand, it had this. Wasn't even enough on the other hand for me to be like, <laughs> but so I should revisit it. Nope. I've seen it one time. I could say I've seen it. I don't ever want to see it again. That was my feelings overall. Yeah. When you picked it, I had never even heard of it. And I was like, okay, yeah, I love a like a blind pick where I can just watch something for the first time. Um, and then I saw you log it on Letterboxd and your review is literally like, I'm going to tear into this on the pod. And I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, no. Yeah. And I was I was low-key being like, interesting that she's not going to be like, never mind, let's do something else. You still were like, nope. 
blood harvest, I, baby. I, when I was with Cornelia, I we were like half, we were like kind of like half joking, like like laughing through the pain on the couch, and I was like. <laughs> She's like, do you think it might be too late? Should you just text Alex that you should pick something else? And in my head, I was like, I didn't know if you had watched it yet. Like, I don't know if you watched it, but you hadn't logged it. So I was like, I don't want to like have, she fucking sat through this. Not that I was like, and she loved it, but like she sat through this and I'm like, oh, actually now we have to do another movie that we have to watch and like fucking take notes on. So I was like, you know what? I'm happy to put my fucking message out there that I think this movie is not good. And even though sometimes we try to like, be respectful of the fact that like filmmaking takes a lot of work or whatever. I don't give a fuck about this one. Fuck you guys for making this. We will get into that. But I don't even give. I need now. I feel like I have. I have this like mission that I'm like. I have to let everybody fucking know. I fucking hate Blood Harvest. Yeah, I watched it last night, fully with the understanding that you hated it. So I was like, not really gonna go in with high hopes. Um, and I absolutely hate to say this, but I rewatched it this morning. Oh my god, bro. Not because I enjoyed it by any stretch of the imagination, but it was one of those things where like the last 20 or so minutes last night, I was really like glazing over. And right. when I woke up this morning to try to figure out like Q and Slay stuff, I was like, honestly, it's short. I'm gonna put it on while I make breakfast and like I skipped through certain scenes that I did not need mm. to rewatch. Um, but I have now officially watched it two times in less than 24 hours. And that is way more than enough, I think, for the That's rest of That's more than life. enough for a fucking lifetime. Yeah, literally. Yeah, but I've done it. I can say I've watched it. Um, and yeah, there's definitely a lot to talk about. Lots to talk I about. mean, I'll, yeah, like it's. I mean, it's one of those movies where it's like, it's an 80s horror movie. So there's definitely Mm -hmm. pretty much any 80s horror movie, unless you have found something that is like, like truly like, like three people on fucking Letterboxd have logged it. Like there's going to be a collection of people always, I feel like with the 80s horror movies that like ride for that shit. So like, that's why I had like heard of it to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. And also like the letter, at least the Letterboxd poster for it great poster it's like tiny tim's big it looks like a fucking vhs cover it's tiny tim's big ass scary clown face but like it's all kind of like tinted red and i was like oh yeah like that looks crazy and like anytime anything has a good poster i'm always like it's the same thing when like anything has a good book cover and you're like god i fucking hope this is good because like uh, it's like hard to like be like let me put this on display when i actually like hate the content within it yes yeah it's like um unfortunately i feel like i felt Mm. No, I take it back. I was gonna say uh, Auntie Lee's meat pies, but I feel like I think I felt the opposite about that poster. Or did I like the poster? Now I don't remember. I feel like maybe it had a sick poster. I think you liked the poster because I remember we I talked about it on the the episode because I was like that would be a great poster to have for your kitchen because she's like baking. Yes. And it's, like, oh, I do like it. Yeah, now yeah, because she has the eyeball. Oh yeah, that's a sick poster. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, so that is um. Blood Harvest. If if you're enticed and you're like, wait, 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 where can I watch it? I know that it's available on Tubi. That's where I watched it. I think it's possibly available on a few of the other like free streaming things. If you're on Roku and you just like search it, it'll all come up. But Tubi for sure. Yeah, um, I watched it on Tubi. But just a, a ref, like a point of reference. For some reason, when I did the search on my TV, it came up as a 2022 film. And then mm-hmm. when I actually went into a Tubi, it, then it said 1987. But if you, for some reason, it says 2022, it's still correct. Because there are a few other Blood Harvest titles that look terrible as well. 
if it says Tiny Tim is in it, this that's yeah. the one. Yeah. Um, but oh God, yeah. Um, I guess we I guess... should start getting into yeah. some of the necessary things we must get through. Um, Alex, mm-hmm. for anybody before we go forward, um, would you like to give us a synopsis of what it is we're getting into? Would I like to know? But will I? Yes. <laughs> Um, I will just preface this, and I was texting Anya about it earlier. Um, It's one of those films where simultaneously, like, almost nothing happens, but so much happens that the synopsis kind of has to go beat by beat to make it make sense. And I was trying desperately to, to like, run through a synopsis and not have it be egregiously long. And I'm just having a really hard time. So you have to just please bear with me um, for the full – full rundown of this film. I will do my very best. Blood Harvest. We are in a small farming community where due to a lot of economic hardship, a lot of family farms are being repossessed by the bank. They're having their livestock and all of their assets auctioned off to other local farmers. And it's created a lot of hostility within the community towards the bank and towards specifically one bank representative who is like a member of this community named Mr. Robinson. Um, Within the opening, there are a few bits of information that are dropped that don't really make a lot of sense at the time. So I'll just quickly say what they are and then we'll come back to them later, which is you see Merv the Clown, played by Tiny Tim, uh, singing a rendition of Jack and Jill Go Up the Hill, the nursery rhyme. You see a man who at the time you don't know who he is, strung up upside down like cattle with his throat getting slit. And you see police officers taking two bodies out of a house saying that they are dead on arrival. And you're like, I don't know what any of this fucking means, but okay, sure. Yeah. Farms are getting repossessed. Then we meet our protagonist, Jill, who is the daughter of the banker, Mr. Robinson, and she is coming back home after college to stay with her family. And she tells her mom she's coming. She goes into town to find her dad, but she can't seem to find him at the bank. She visits her friend, Sarah, who kind of gives her the lowdown of like, hey, the town is not really happy with your family right now. Everyone is like really, you know, specifically your dad, but like your family in general are not in good standing. And that is confirmed even more when she gets home to discover that her home has been vandalized. People have written on the outside of the house. There's like a scarecrow kind of thing hung up when she opens the front door. And her parents are nowhere to be found. But inside is Merv, the local creepy clown guy, just hanging out in her house, being a fucking weirdo. And pretty quickly, his brother Gary arrives and shoes Merv off kind of tries to calm Jill down, being like, it's okay, your parents probably just went somewhere. And it's established here that Gary and Jill have a long history, a long friendship, potentially something more romantic at one point, and Mm. he leaves. Jill, trying to settle in, immediately receives a threatening phone call and a brick through her window. So she's like, fuck this, I'm going to the police. She tries to walk into town, stumbles upon a paintball game that's irrelevant, gets a ride into town to the bumbling sheriff, classic sheriff archetype who doesn't give a shit, doesn't Mm. want to do his job, but reluctantly goes back to the house with her only to find that everything has been cleaned up and repaired. So he does not believe her. Mm. He kind of is like basically fuck off and leaves. And then Gary comes back and he says, oh, I cleaned everything up. I didn't want you to have to see it all. And they go to a treehouse to hang out. And this is where we learn that Merv and Gary's parents were murdered And they were found hanging and they had been there for three days and nobody ever caught the murderers. And that is the two bodies from the beginning of the film that were being Mm. taken away. And he establishes, you know, 
Merv was never the same after this. He really kind of delved really deep into this clown persona and it changed him. And um, Jill also reveals here that she has a fiance, which Gary clearly is not happy about. We go back to her house. Merv is constantly breaking in and just showing up or creeping around outside. She tells him to leave, basically. He sits on a swing outside her house at night, and she gets really freaked out because she doesn't know who it is. So she calls the sheriff and makes him come. And while she's waiting for the sheriff, her fiancé calls, and she tells him how frightened she is of everything that's going on. When the sheriff arrives, he's like, it's just Merv. I'll take him home. Everything seems kosher. She goes to bed. But it's not because someone breaks into her room, chloroforms her, rips her clothes off, takes photos of her. It's gross. It's icky. And then we move on. The next morning, she wakes up to her fiancé surprising her because he's worried and he decided to come into town. They try to have sex on her parents' living room carpet for some reason and Gary Mm. witnesses it and is very upset by it. And then they get interrupted by Sarah, her friend from earlier in the film, calling to come hang out. So her fiancé, Scott, is like, I'm going to go into town, get some beer, talk to the sheriff. But when he's going, he sees a man wearing pantyhose over his face running through the field into her barn. So he, as a good boyfriend, goes to investigate, but immediately gets knocked on the head and strung up. Meanwhile, Sarah comes over. They hang out pretty much all night. And then when it's finally time for her to go to work, she leaves, but also encounters the same fate as Scott where she sees this man, runs into the barn, gets strung up and killed. Gary again appears. Oh, I will also say that throughout this, Merv is just has little scenes where he's like praying or singing and being fucking uh-huh. weird. There is one scene where he's shown talking to a woman who's tied up offering her food, which I believe we are to assume is Mrs. Robinson, yeah. which if that's the case, the man being killed at the beginning of the film is Mr. Robinson, even though it's never explicitly stated. Yeah. <sighs> Almost done. Um, <laughs> it's a lot. I told you. Um Gary comes back. She's really worried. She's like, I don't know where my parents are. Scott still hasn't come back. Sarah hasn't gotten to work. I don't know what's going on. And he's like, maybe the two of them got together. Whatever. She falls asleep. Shut the fuck up. She has like what seems like it's a dream, but then in the end was actually real of Scott getting his throat slit and his blood being poured into a bucket. Because when she awakens, she opens the refrigerator and the bucket of blood spills all over her. And then we get to... I, the worst 10, 15 minutes uh, that I've had to sit through oh in a long God, time, I know. Yeah. which is a long-ass sequence of a shell-shocked Jill being taken into a bathtub by Gary and showered and felt up while she is, like, so unaware of what's going on around her and then laid down on a couch, sexually assaulted, and mm-hmm. he is attempting to rape her when finally she comes out of her, like, shock and realizes what's happening and pushes him off of her. And he's devastated by this, obviously, because he thinks that they're in love. Um, Eventually, we get to a point where Merv is like, you know what? I have to do the right thing. He takes all his clown makeup off. He gets to jail. He says, I have to show you something. And he brings her to his house where he shows her photographs that were taken of her naked from somebody and a letter to Gary from their parents basically saying, Our farm is getting repossessed. There's nothing to live for. We're going to kill ourselves. And Merv says, Gary covered it up to make it look like a murder so that we could save face and the family wouldn't be disgraced, basically. Gary catches them. He gets in a fight with Merv before Merv can kill him. Jill, still somehow not realizing that Gary is the evil person here, shoots Merv 
And then we have a long chase sequence where she tries to pretend to go along with Gary's plan and then tries to escape, runs into the barn to see all the dead bodies, runs away again. It's a lot of back and forth until eventually, mm-hmm. right before she's killed, surprise, surprise, Merv was not actually dead. He shoots Gary. The two of them escape. And we linger on Gary's quote unquote dead body until his eyes open. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And that's Blood Harvest. Thank you so much girl, for keeping up with me. You're, girl, you're a fucking God's strongest soldier. And what I will say before we go any further, and I will yeah. put it in the episode description, uh, as I have done with a few past episodes, as a trigger warning. Yes, please. There is, obviously, as Alex has stated, sexual assault uh, in this film. To an, a degree that I couldn't have predicted in any yeah. capacity. Um, and it will be discussed to a certain degree in this episode. So be be prepared for that or skip if it is not mm-hmm. something that you are prepared to listen to. All right. That being said, you know, we usually call this section the fun fact section. Nothing's fun <laughs> about this movie. Although I guess nothing about this, this section is, you know, triggering to my uh, um, recollection. Um, not surprisingly, there was not a whole lot uh, of information on this. Um, as I previously stated, it's the same director, Bill Rubain, as, um, Giant Spider Invasion. Uh, and the biggest thing about this movie in general, and I think fact-wise, is the Tiny Tim of it all. Which, what I will say, because part of my, in my attempt to find facts or whatever, I did watch also Joe Bob's, um, I believe it was an episode from the first official Shudder like, season of oh, cool. The Last Drive-In. He did Blood Harvest as the closer with uh, Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, which is a movie I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, he's going to have all this stuff. And mainly his like facts, he had brought on two experts. He brought on... Somebody that was, like, the leading expert on, like, Tiny Tim's life. He, like, wrote a okay. whole book about Tiny Tim's life. Like, like the expert on Tiny Tim. And then he also brought out, like, the guy that was, like, Tiny Tim's producer for the last 10 years of his, like, career slash life. Um, the first guy had a lot more to say than the producer dude. But, like, it was mainly just, like, oh, interesting of stuff for, like, about Tiny Tim. Which is not really what this our podcast is about. So I will recommend watching that. Uh, Joe Bob stuff if you are interested in weird Tiny Tim facts if you're a Tiny Tim fan or whatever or and or you just want to know what the book title is if you really want to get into it but we won't be really covering that here but I believe there's also a recent documentary about Tiny Tim's life that I is there yeah when I was because I was trying to I just like searched Tiny Tim on my tv first and a documentary from I want to say 2021 popped up about his life and I was intrigued because before this, the only thing I knew about Tiny Tim was that he sings the Insidious song. The, yes, I mean, he's kind of a one Frolic Through the Tulips? Tiptoe Through the Tulips. Tiptoe Through the Tulips, thank you. I love that song. Very spooky, very very creepy. That's kind of his big hit. Um, yeah. I also knew him, funny enough, I knew about Tiny Tim's music before that because I don't remember the exact name of the song. I'm sure somebody knows. But there's a SpongeBob episode. I believe it's the the, the pilot episode. It is. No. I think I knew this, yeah. Pilot episode is the, the they have the reef blowers. It's like the episode after that. Um, I thought the where, was with the little like nematodes. No, nematodes is something else. Nematodes are the ones where they come and they eat everything. I thought that was they, the like, pilot. Pineapple. The pilot is like there's no dialogue in the pilot and it's Spongebob. He gets the reef blower and he's like sucking 
or there's it's something like oh he's like blowing a pile of dirt from like his side of the thing over onto squidwards because they bring back the reef blowers i think for a later episode or some shit at one point but no i think it's like the episode right after that it's spongebob's first day at the crusty crab and it's like yeah it's not the nematodes but it's the anchovies or whatever that's what i meant yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. yes anchovies yes and i know what you're talking and about they're like, he's doing the sequence with the burgers because it's like, I'm so happy. Oh, having a. Da, da, da. Yeah. I think, oh, I'm pretty okay. sure I literally downloaded that fucking song onto like my iPod, like Nano or some shit. I was like, this shit hits. <laughs> um, so, um, but yeah, Tiny Tim, uh, interesting character. I never reached the levels of success that other people obviously did. He was kind of like a, a novelty act, I think, in some people's opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently he was, like, an encyclopedic, like, novel, like, pre-Wikipedia and shit of just, like, music. Like, just, like, had That's all cool. this knowledge. Um, they were briefly talking about it on the last drive-in. But it, an interesting fellow for sure. Um, he he actually wore his own clown suit for the movie. That is Tiny Tim's clown suit. Um, and you know what? It, it Which is funny because, like, I... I remember when we were watching it like on the back of the clown suit it says like it's like property of like i don't know like some like establishment which i was like are they ever gonna bring that up in the movie (laughs) nope and i guess because it has ties i guess to wherever tiny tim got it from in real life um but to move off of tiny tim for a moment um the film is loosely based i'm sure you might might have gathered this alex it's loosely based on the story of ed gein I did not gather that because in what way is this Ed Gein? Ed Gein made furniture out of human body parts. Because apparently it was like something where um, I think to do one with like the clown stuff, like the clown makeup to a certain degree. And there was something they were talking about. um, Shit, what was it? The, the, The hanging of the bodies upside down. And I mean, I guess like because like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is inspired by Ed Gein as well. So, like, I guess in that I mean, way. With, like, loosely based. This is not yeah. a well-executed film. No. Um, well, when I was watching it, Cornelia said something like, the, oh, it was Ed Gein-esque. And I was like, yeah, like, blah, blah. And then when I was doing my research, like, hmm. apparently it is confirmed that, like, they were attempting to some degree to do an Ed Gein-esque story. Um, alternative titles for this film include uh, The Marvelous Mervo which is obviously Tiny Tim's character's name, and Nightmare, which low-key it was to watch. Um, horrible <laughs> fucking title. Like Both of those are decent titles. I mean, Marvelous Mervo, like, yeah, like, that's fun yeah. and, like, that makes sense. Nightmare, I'm like, you could put that on uh, so many fucking movies. Yeah. Nightmare. It's just a good like, word. Most, yeah, it's just, like, most horror movie plots are, like, that's a nightmare to live through. <laughs> like, um, yeah. But supposedly, I couldn't find anything else to confirm this, like more than one source. But supposedly, this movie was filmed in one day and night. <laughs> so apparently, one day, like I like um, I don't know why it's in one day and one night. That's together is a full day, but I'm not at all surprised because it's it no. all takes place at Jill's house, basically. There's yeah, it's very lucky. few scenes yeah. that are not in Jill's house, and the ones that aren't are pretty much in the barn. Yeah, which is also on the property yeah. yeah um so and speaking of jill uh the actress uh itonia salchek i believe is how you say her name mm-hmm. um this was her i believe her first film and 
never did another movie after this. She has not been heard from since the production of this film. And there's apparently people online that are petitioning to like find her whereabouts, which I'm like, let this woman live, leave her the fuck alone. Maybe she doesn't want to be found, especially Loki. If this is my fucking the first movie I ever did. Yeah. It wouldn't make me want to make another movie. I could tell you that much at all, at all. Um, yeah. Oh, that's, I'm not surprised. It's very sad. She wasn't, she wasn't, um, Oscar worthy. Which, um, no, then they go, but to go off of that, um, the person playing her boyfriend, Peter Krauss, um, which Bitch, you're can I say? about. Yes. No, go ahead. I'll say after. I don't okay. Try. Okay. Okay. Um, Peter Krauss is like kind of the only person in the film, um, that kind of went on to have like a very successful acting career, um, mainly known for, uh, Character like, television roles on Sports Night, Six Feet Under, uh, Dirty Sexy Money, uh, Parenthood, uh, and now I think he's currently on nine one one. But this, I believe, was also his acting debut, or at least his film debut. Um, which another side note I will make quickly about him is that, um, which I, it was confirmed in multiple places for me, he refused for the scene when they were about to have sex or whatever on the fucking living room floor to take his jeans off. Um, which once again, we've tried about this many times on this podcast with these things where like sometimes guys are like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be my my underpants or like I'm not gonna wear this specific thing where as always, everybody's entitled to do whatever they want with their body, whatever makes them feel comfortable. It's always just such a interesting juxtaposition where at the same time like this young woman that's also like the lead not only has her tits out in the scene, but like in other scenes is like being very much, you know, mm-hmm. what we'll get to where it's just like interesting. And it was funny because when Joe Bob talked about it, he brought it up and he was like, yeah, like blah, blah, like, you know, and he said it was like funny. He's like, it's oftentimes it is usually more usually men that are the ones that are like, Oh, like I'm not going to do that because if women said like, I'm not going to do that. They're like, sorry. Yeah, we can't, we can't use her in the film because we have to have the boobs. She can't be used in the film. Where if a guy does it, they're like, oh, well, like, no one cares about seeing, like, like, like butt cheeks or whatever. Which then he was, like, talking about, he's like, I mean, I don't think that's true. And he's like, I mean, I don't want to see butt butt cheeks. He's like, but the girls want to see butt cheeks. And then he was like, and actually, the boys probably want to see butt cheeks, too. So, like, and I was like, and he's fucking right. Like, but anyways, what did you want to say about I, your I guy? do wish I got to see Peter Krause's butt cheeks. That would have been excellent. I, his name is in the opening credits. I noticed it on my second watch, but I think I wasn't like fully paying attention the first time. So I didn't know he was in this. And Mm -hmm. the first scene that he's in, he's wearing sunglasses. So I didn't really like clock it. But then the second scene, the first time you see him full on straight on, I sat straight the fuck up. I paused it. I said, Greg, is that Peter Krause? And he was like, he looks like him. I was like, no, 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 no. I think that's him. And so we looked it up and I... That wasn't the best part of the movie for me because I am such a huge Six Feet Under fan. Nate Fisher is like one of my favorite characters on television. I fucking love him. He's amazing. Greg's walking by, giving the hell yeah, because he also your <laughs> gross. I was so fucking excited to see him. It made the experience, honestly, so much better for me that he was in it. And I was yeah. very sad that he was not in it for much longer, but love him he's amazing he's the only one in the film who did half decent acting and i will stand yeah. by that um we love him in this household fuck yeah watch it for him alone the last two things i have which are just tiny tim things i don't know how interesting they are um but tiny tim um 
came to be in this film because he was making a personal appearance at a beer carnival in Lincoln County, Wisconsin in 1985, um, which apparently whoever was running this beer festival didn't even want to book him because he was like, you know, this guy's like a weird novelty act. But then apparently like anytime Tiny Tim would perform, I think because like he had such a like specific dedicated following and, Mm -hmm. and just because like he's not a bad musician, it's very impressive what he does. Like he would always get like a standing ovation. So like- He was like, okay, I'll fucking book this weirdo. But um, local filmmaker Bill Rabane was in the audience and he had had an idea, I guess, for this horror movie. And he was, he wanted to see if Tiny Tim would appear in it, Um, which apparently there was also something where like Tiny Tim, this is more like Tiny Tim history. And I can't remember the top of my head, but like Tiny Tim, I can't remember the woman's name, but he got like married like live on like the Tonight Show or some shit. Like, you can all look this up. Like, I'm not going to get into Tiny Tim hour. But, like, and apparently it's, like, the still record holder for, like, the most viewed, like, broadcast, like, live broadcast, like, live or some shit. Like, it can never be beat or some insane shit. Um, Then, like, eight years later, got a divorce. But then after that, I don't know, like, was, like, he he had this, like, thing where he's, like, I want to play, like, fucking weirdos on film or some shit. Like, I don't, I don't know. But so, essentially, he was offered this, like, do you want to play this, like, fucking clown? And he was, like, yes. <laughs> I have the and perfect outfit. No, literally, don't even worry, girl. I've got <laughs> costuming handled. Um, the other thing was apparently, um, Tiny Tim was very bad, slash, could not memorize his lines for this movie, which apparently, which then Joe Bob brought up, and he was like, "It's so funny because like you're a musician, like you memorize like the lyrics to your songs, blah blah." And apparently, the he was talking to the Tiny Tim official expert at this point, who was saying like apparently Tiny Tim was like a savant in that way in terms of like certain things like yeah like with the music and like the encyclopedic mileage of music memorized second nature or whatever but when it came to like lines for like being in a movie or like making a public appearance could not do it could not memorize them that's interesting especially because I feel like a big chunk of his dialogue in this film is him singing, singing yeah. <clears throat> or like praying and even when he is just straight talking I feel like so many of his lines are incredibly bizarre and therefore in my mind should be easier to remember because they are so distinct it's not like you're just having casual conversation like you're going up to a girl being like i am a tree and birdies hang off of my branches like what are you talking about <laughs> how, how do you not remember that that's easy right but oh, tiny yeah that's that's what i've got for you on the production of this film um which I guess a good place to start for the actual content of the film, because we're already talking about him, is Tiny Tim, mm-hmm. which, as we've stated, he is on full freak mode for the whole damn movie. God bless him. <laughs> God bless Tiny Tim. Um, I, the, my first Tiny Tim note was because when he walked in, I can't remember the first – oh, it's like – I can't remember the first fucking thing he says, but it's obviously, like, when he's, like, in her fucking house. Because, yeah, he's, like, always, like, randomly in there. But then she'll, like, say something to him because she, like, knows him and he'll – for the most part, he should be like, okay, like, I'm off now. Like, da 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 And I was just like, I literally was like, okay, work, queen. Just like, it was just like, okay, girl, I'll see you later. Like, it was just like that energy where I was just like, ah, literally, God bless him. Um, yeah, I think they he obviously- He really does walk you. into every room like he owns the room a lot of the time. And you know what? He does. If the movie focused more on giving me more kind of like, what the fuck is Tiny Tim doing? And less of like, what's the next way we can sexually assault this woman? Like, it would have, oh, skyrocketed. 
But I think it's interesting that they clearly, I mean, in general, I feel like they're clearly trying to be like, who's doing it? This mm-hmm. pantyhose over the face, who could it be? Fucking First and foremost, such a limited fucking character pool to begin with. And it's none of the women, obviously. So it's just like, okay. But, and, you know, and then they kill people off pretty quickly and they're like, who could it be? And it's like, literally one person. It could be one person. <laughs> like, what? Um, but they obviously even with that they're trying to obviously be like tiny tim's a fucking weirdo he's a freak he's the one behind it because he's a creepy clown or whatever um whereas like the whole movie he is just kind of like yeah like why are you in my house but like just kind of being like i'm here to read you a poem like or like singing and then like yeah like by himself and like the only things that we see really that are like oh my god what the fuck are like the one shot of him talking to the woman strapped to the chair which even then like and i'm sure maybe for us because we've seen so many movies or whatever like it almost feels like a red herring moment because it's like it's too easy to just be showing us like yeah he's got this woman tied up so he's doing it i'm like that's a little too early to be revealing that so like clearly there's something more going on here because also like he wasn't hurting her he was like trying to like feed her presumably and like maybe help her which we ultimately learn is because like he's afraid of his brother who is the one that's doing this um and then also there's a scene when he's in the kitchen with jill where they're like they're talking and they're like having just like a friendly moment and then he kind of like leans down to like i don't know if it was like to try to kiss her or to try to like touch her in like a more sexual way and she like rejects him and he doesn't like he doesn't like the reaction isn't like he doesn't force himself on her and he's not like like you know throwing shit he's just kind of like why can't i have like like fun too or whatever but then he leaves so it's just like obviously it's like he got rejected his feelings are a little hurt and he like walks out like that's like to me like his worst moment as a character in the movie and then other than that i'm like he's kind of just like floating through life in the clown suit yeah i think I definitely think his biggest issue is that he does just kind of barge into places all the time. I mean, yeah. one of my favorite parts for his character is that right in that scene where he tries to kiss her or whatever, he just literally opens her front door and goes, I'm here. Like she was expecting him. And then right. she's like, oh, hey, I'm making coffee. And he goes, make yourself at home. I'll make it. And I'm like, she's literally, this is her home. What are you talking about? Make yourself at home. <sighs> this is not your home, sir. He... Yeah, he just was living in his own world. And I definitely felt like throughout pretty much the entire film, it was he was meant to be the red herring, but I feel like not in a way that trusted that the audience would understand that he was a red herring. I felt like the director felt like or the writer felt like they were really getting one over on us because in the opening yeah. sequence, before the guy, uh, Mr. Robinson's throat is slit, like that's when you see um, him singing the song. And so I feel like you're supposed to like, correlate him with that moment and then obviously like you said when he's physically with the woman tied up they're like see there he is and then later they show um a shot of that chair empty to kind of imply that like she's no longer tied up so she's probably dead um but yeah it was just very weak especially when you do so frequently show gary in the pantyhose because you can tell that it's a blonde man underneath yeah. the pantyhose and it's like there's one blonde man in this film and also tiny tim is a completely different body type and he has crazy big hair and he wears clown makeup it's obviously not him and even in the moments where tiny tim is by himself like he's never showing aggression towards anyone he's like singing to himself or he's praying and like 
in a church trying to like find forgiveness and like it's clear that he is not mentally well and it's not no. in a psychotic way it's in a like grief stricken kind of way so if if their intention was to make it seem like he was the madman i i don't think that they succeeded in any way um Mm-mm. but I mean, he is grief-stricken because, yeah, like, the whole thing with, like, all the farm animals that were his friends are killed. Which, like, we were laughing at one point. It wasn't, like, funny, but, like, he has a picture in this scrapbook of, like, I think it was, like, a pig or something that was, like, his favorite animal. And the only fucking photo he has of this animal is after it was, like, in the slaughterhouse, like, ripped open. And we were, like... Like, imagine, like, like that would be the equivalent, I guess, for me, if, like, I had a picture, my only picture of fucking surviving of you was, like, you, like, as a corpse. And I'm like, <laughs> I miss her every day. It's just, like, you don't have any other photos to look at? Um, But something I was thinking about, even just now, because, like, I didn't fully put this together, because, like, obviously at the end, near the end, we have the reveal where fi- finally it's, like, Tiny Tim's actually, crazy that they're, like, you know who's going to explain, like, really what's going on and finally put, like, perspective on everything for you? Tiny Tim in the clown suit. And you're like, okay. Because it's when he's taking Jill for the scrapbook and he's explaining. He like, takes the clown suit off. That's true, yes. He takes um, all the makeup off and now he's just a regular old man. And he's explaining to her essentially, like, the truth. Like, because we were, you know, we didn't know what the fuck was going on at the beginning. And then, um, fucking piece of shit Gary is like, oh, my parents were murdered. And we're like, okay, so that's what we saw. And then Tiny Tim's like, girl, no. They were depressed as fuck, like they were losing the farms, so they killed themselves, and then like to save the family name and you know, like Gary fucking posed them and since she made it look like they were slaughtered, whatever. Um, so telling her all this shit and like yeah, like showing her the pictures, blah blah, which obviously, which as you're saying, like how the fuck she didn't put this together that like, hello, it's Gary, and he's trying to tell you this. He's like trying he's to trying to assault like, you. He did assault you, not two no, hours yeah, before. literally. Um, but he's trying to tell her this, like, you know, essentially, and, like, making it also clear that, like, yeah, he's afraid of Gary. Like, he didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Like, Gary's now his only remaining family. He's clearly mentally unwell because, yeah, when he comes, when Gary comes in, he gets scared. He's like, oh, I, I didn't let her in here. Like, she came in on her own. Like, blah, blah, blah. But there's a scene that I wasn't even thinking about. Because when we were talking about it again, I was like, oh, yeah, fucking Marvelous Merv is always there. And there's a scene with, like, the shitty sheriff who also, like, I love when we meet the sheriff. He's, like, literally in, like, athleisure. Yeah. Like, he's in, like, a fucking sports jersey and shit. So then when he comes to the house, well, then when he comes to the house later, he's still in it. He just, like, kind of, like, lazily put, like, his fucking, like, police jacket over it. And I was like, girl, it's time to hang it up. (laughs) What are we doing? But, um... There's a scene at night uh, where she's like, I think she hears something outside. She's like, whatever. She calls the police. She's like, well, someone's outside. The police come. They knock on the front door because she's like scared. She's like hearing shit. And it's like, it's me. It's a fucking police. Like, open up. She opens up and the fucking sheriff has Marvelous Merv. He's like, this is the guy like that was outside your house. She's like, oh my God. Like, blah, blah. And he's like, she's like, what are we going to do with him? He's like, take him home. But during this, Marvelous Merv says like, I didn't, I didn't want anyone to hurt you or like, blah, blah, blah. Which like, mm-hmm. of course you're like, at, at certain points you're like, I guess maybe if you believe it's Merv, you're like, oh, don't trust him. Or you're like, he's just using this as an excuse because he like li- likes her. Like he wants to be close to her and like no one's trying to hurt her. But it's like, he knows because like lo- like like he knows that like the person that wants to fucking hurt her and fucking come in and it's all her like is his own brother so he's mm-hmm. trying to stay there which un- unknowingly 
is like, oh, sending him away, you know, I don't know that he actually would have been able to do anything to help her, but like, she at least loses that like guard outside her house that's like watching to see what happens. But yeah, he, when he originally like got killed, like when she shoots him, so mm-hmm. frustrating because I was like, girl, how the fuck did you not understand this? But that aside, also like at that point, me being like, the one thing that made this movie like somewhat fucking enjoyable was like Tiny Tim. And now you've killed him. And I'm stuck with like rapist motherfucker Gary. I was like, so the whole time I'm like, I want Gary to be like ripped apart terrifier style. Like asshole to mouth fucking cut that bitch in half. Like, oh my God. Oh my God. I fucking, I haven't felt hatred for a character in a movie like that in a fucking hot minute. Yeah, he just like reeked of skis. He was just like it was like pouring out of his his pores. And so let me now I feel like address the the elephant in the room so I can get it off my chest because this is where my rage comes in. So once again, trigger warning for anybody who's listening up at this point, we're gonna get into the the nasty stuff now. Obvious so literally, yeah, it's the two big scenes in this movie are Somebody breaks into her house. She's asleep. They chloroform her while she's asleep. So she's like, immediately like unconscious, unconscious. And then they rip her clothes off. And the whole time this is happening as me and Cornelia are like, oh God, like, wait, no, like, don't do this. Like, what is going on? Like, as per usual, 99.9% of the times, your movie does not need a rape scene. Movie does not need a sexual assault scene. Especially one that I have to watch. Like, there are ways that you can put elements of that into your story if it's necessary, and you still don't even have to show me. Like, the thought of it is violent enough, pretty much for most people with an understanding of what it is, that they're, like, noted. I don't need to see it. Mm-hmm. So, like, in general, like, the, I don't know, the thought process to be like, now let's film this is always kind of a little disturbed to me. Um but yeah, this scene where he's like, he rips all her clothes off and takes photos of her. And yeah, like I think once again, as any individual, but I think especially as women, you watch this and you're like, that is horrendous. And it's horrifying to like be unconscious, like drugged unconscious. So it's not even like, oh, you might wake up, like you're out. And someone takes your clothes off and takes your photos. Sickening, disgusting. And of course, at this point, I'm like, we're seeing people get their throats slit. I'm assuming this is a slasher. I'm like, why the fuck is this in here? I don't like this. And then uh, later on, there was like a moment where we were like, oh my God, is it going to happen? I don't remember what it was. We were like, oh my God, are they going to do it again? And it didn't happen when we thought it was going to happen or something. So we were like, okay, it was already bad enough that it happened once. And honestly, like there's no redeeming it, honestly, in my at this point for me, like it really upset me. And then you get the whole, not even like, who could it be? The Gary fucking shit where I'm like, if you really needed to be handheld to who the fucking killer is, hello? Hello. Like, it's obviously fucking Gary. The the holding her and taking her in the bathtub, the whole time, me and Cornelia are like, oh my God, stop. Like, leave her alone. Fondling her in the shower. Like, oh, like, sure. I, I'm like, I was like, I think you can just put her in the water. I think mm-hmm. you can just let the water run on her. She doesn't need your help with this. Yeah, like feeling up her like her boobs, all this stuff. And then the, I'm just angry. Here's my thing. I'm like, I don't need to describe in detail what the fuck goes on. Watch the movie or don't. Just know that like it's awful. Fuck Gary. And fuck this goddamn movie because it's like in what capacity was any of that necessary? Obviously, you're trying to sell like Gary's in love with her. Gary wants her to be his. Like, okay. Like, you can do that without 
having sexual assault first and foremost, let alone showing it in your silly, like tiny Tim clown fucking killer movie. Like it just really pissed me off because it's also Alex, as you said, the longest scene of the whole motherfucking movie. It goes on so long with him like un putting her down on the couch first and foremost with no clothes on. I literally was like, you disrespectful ass bitch. You couldn't even wrap her up in a fucking blanket. But first and foremost, she's gonna be fucking cold. She's just out of the water. Like fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Um then fondling her, like sucking on her breasts. I just was like, could you die instantaneously? I want you to fucking like explode. Implode on your own fucking asshole, you piece of shit. And then walks away and we're like okay i guess thank christ that's over sits in a chair for a minute takes off his shirt and is like no i'm not done yet and then goes back to get on top of her like he's gonna now full-on like penetrative like rape for her which thank god she woke up but i'm just like the 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 fucking thought that had to go into like we're gonna film all of this for what benefit girl Uh, yeah i mean obviously i agree with everything that you're saying um i think the first sequence of her being chloroformed and photographed is obviously very upsetting. She's also tied up, which adds an, mm-hmm. another element of like yes. this like torture to it, which I don't need. But the the main sequence where it goes from the bathtub to the couch, it I have a lot of issues with it. Like you said, we don't need to see it. It's not necessary. They go on for far too long. Um, but they continue to make you think it's over because the bathtub scene happens and she's still conscious, but she's clearly in shock and she's not really Mm -hmm. aware of like what he's doing and it's bad. It's not good. And then you're like, okay, that's done. Let's move on. No, now she's lied down naked on the, on the couch. And he goes to kiss what I thought was her breast. And I was like, don't fucking, don't you dare touch that nipple. And he kisses her shoulder. And I was like, Okay. But then he moves down and he continues to do it. And I was like, okay. And then he does cover her up with the blanket. And I was like, are we done now? Great. He's going to go sit in the corner. He's going to go fucking touch himself and be a fucking creep. And he's, it seems like he's thinking about it. And then he's like, you know what? No, we're not done yet. And then he continues, as you said. And so it's just the constant, like, are we done? No. Okay. We have to endure more of this kind of bullshit was exhausting. But I also felt like for me, the way it was filmed made it so much more disgusting because a thousand percent the score the whole time was this like very melodic like beautiful music and the way that they linger on her body and like the way he's like you know doing everything to her is like very sensual and I'm like why are we trying to romanticize what's happening right now because that's what it felt like to me it felt very much like we're doing this to like look at her body and and like, you know, appreciate like all her curves. And we're like, and I was just like, this is assault. We do not need to be lingering on it like this. We do not need to have this music accompanying it. We're not on his side. So I don't really understand why it's being framed in this way when it is a, like a vicious assault on a, on a woman. Oh God, it's horrendous. And the thing is, I'm so glad you brought that music up because yeah, because I remember something else that I was like, there's something else that really fucking pissed me off. What the fuck was it? And I remembered, um, going off the music because you're a thousand percent right there's yeah you know the argument can be made like well would you want it to be like crazy scary score and my response would be i don't want it at all i don't want to fucking see it like what's not fucking clicking um i honestly peace and love i would dare anybody to try to fucking go toe-to-toe with an argument for this fucking film you will lose 
because I will punch a hole through your skull. Like we're in fucking demon night, bitch. Like move on. Also, did I tell you I got demon night on DVD the other day? Fun little tangent. <gasps> Love that for you. That you find. Anyways, but they are absolutely one as always, you know, like exploiting a woman's body. So it's like, yeah, like so sexy, whatever. But what I also think low key is happening because they think they're so fucking smart and they're like, and you'll never know who it is. Bitch, the fuck do you mean? I know exactly who's doing this. It's like, they're still trying to sell it to a certain degree, like, but maybe there could be something there between her and Gary. So that when there's that switch at the end, there was like, and Gary's evil and he killed all these people. You're like, oh my God. Where I'm just like, no, I hate Gary the whole time. And I know it was Gary the whole time. Like, you're not this convincing of like, this could be their moment of rekindling their young love. No, the fuck it's not. It's assault. But what kills me, and what kills me specifically, is because I obviously know that like this was written and directed by like a man and shit. And it's just like, oh, bitch, I hope you swallow a razor blade. Because she comes to, and of course she's like, oh, like, What's going on? I and she thinks you know, it's Gary, God at first. Yes, but not even that. So she's like getting her bearings and realizes it's Gary and Gary's being like, oh, like we could be together, blah, blah. And she's like, it's almost like she's trying to oh. be like, to be respectful of his feelings. Yes. Like, oh, Gary, no. Like, I just see you as a brother. I, bitch, you, I could have fucking run through a fucking brick wall at this point. I was like, are you out of your fucking mind? Like, I'm getting worked up. Like, there's tears in my eyes. And I'm not sad, but it's, you know, you get like so fucking angry that you're like, I'm going to kill somebody. I was like, I know you bitches are not trying to assault this bitch on fucking camera. Insane. For so fucking long. And then when she comes to, she doesn't even have a moment of like, either just full on being like scared of just like, what the fuck is going on? Or like angry of like, get the fuck off of me. What the fuck? It's like, we still have to be mindful. Because Gary likes her. Let him down easy. You were about to rape me. Are you out of your fucking minds? Oh my God, bitch. I completely forgot about that because when I rewatched it this morning, that's the section of the film I skipped over because I was like, why do I need to watch that again? Literally. You have reminded me of the part that I think I was so clouded by how much I hated what was happening visually that I forgot the dialogue that immediately followed it because not only does she not get angry in the way that she should, and not only does she say, I love you like a brother, but she also says something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing, I understand where you're coming from, but I belong to someone else now. And I was like, what do you mean you understand? And what do you mean you belong to somebody else? Why, why are you being framed as a possession this whole, like, whole time? I, I don't understand it. It was and you- infuriating. And the thing is, what I'm specifically mad about is that obviously in real life, when these things happen, people react different ways. People Mm -hmm. like there's, you know, trauma responses. You sometimes you shut down, blah, blah, blah. Like that's all valid. The issue I'm taking with this is they were not trying to do like, this is like a real, like sometimes people react like this. No, they were trying to be like, yeah, like there's something between them. So of course she'd be mindful of like, Fuck off i hope you get dragged to fucking hell and you have to fucking suck the devil's cock for an eternity gary you piece of shit oh bitch i was angry i was like what the fuck is going on so i was like i and this was the point when i was like there is truly we had already reached this in my opinion but like i was like oh you bitches are over i'm about to fucking go ape shit on this podcast i was like 
I, yeah, I have not had something in a long time that has made me like angry, angry. And I, so then at that point, like at the end, I was like watching it, but I was just like, until I see Gary, like literally have the skin ripped off his body and then set a fucking blaze. I'm just kind of like half watching this at this point. I'm just like, yeah, okay, hurry up. I don't care. Move on. Done. Don't care. Like, oh, it made me angry, bitch. So then of course, after all that, well, then we get the scene where like fucking Tiny Tim's trying to help her out. And then she fucking kills Tiny Tim. And it's like, wait, Gary, it was you? I was like, oh my God. Honestly, as an audience member at this point, like I need some fucking reprieve. Like, come on, please. So, yeah. Yeah, it's bad. We don't even get to have that really the satisfaction of a like a worthwhile deserving death for Gary because his death is just like a shoulder shot and then he's not even dead by the time the credits roll so very unsatisfying that we had to go through all of that just for a reveal that was incredibly obvious and no real satisfaction and no justice felt like it was earned and the thing is like weirdly going off of what we were saying of like the sensuality of like the music at that point something about the whole movie for better and also for absolutely worse is like one when they start out they have these like which it kind of makes sense a little bit with giant spider invasion because remember when we did giant spider invasion we were like some of the fucking like cinematography in this is like really beautiful and like scenic Mm -hmm. They did the same thing at the top of this movie. These beautiful, like, looks like beautiful, like, almost like upstate New York in the fall type, like, painting-esque shit. Where I was like, that's gorgeous. And all the music um, was, like, like when you were watching, like, like, an after-school special or, like, a health class video, like, type music. You, like, I don't know how else to describe it. Like, you'd have to listen to it to be, like, yes, and you'd know I'm right. But, like, which then ultimately then, yeah, plays into the horrible, like, sexual assault rape scene where it's just like this was not the time for that I can tell you that much but yeah for me with the score uh, I feel like typically the score of a film is something that I don't usually pick up on it's kind of just like a part of it that is just like in the background for me that I'm not like actively aware of and that's just like I'm sure a lot of people are actively aware of scores but I'm just not one of those people but it was so heavy-handed in certain scenes Mm. that it felt overbearing and it made so many of the scenes where the score was really heavy feel like even more melodramatic than it already did but not in the fun like soap opera kind of way where it's like campy and like oh I'm living for this it just kind of emphasized how poor the writing was and how bad the acting was and I was just like what are all of these technical choices that we're making here right now everything is failing the acting was bad. I also made a note. It felt like everybody in the movie was acting at two times speed. Oh yeah, like it was just like oh no 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 oh no like like the react like the way they were talking, reacting to other. The specific moment that made me be like is when she like after she gets the brick through her window, she goes to the sheriff's department and she's like oh like I can't remember what it was saying, but it was like oh right, I've had enough. And he's like what are you oh what are you talking about? Well, there's a brick through my window. All right, well, and I was just like okay, let's fucking pause, take a breath. Like I was like you're getting through so much information. It's you have a little time for padding. It's only an 87-minute movie. Like, let's fucking just breathe. Not that ultimately ended. But, you know, it's once again, like, shit like that where it's like, we well, gotta get through this. Da, 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 da. But don't worry. We'll take fucking five full fucking strong minutes for the sexual assault sensual scene. And it's just like, yeah, I think this could have of- been better allotted anywhere else. Yeah, there was a lot of back and forth dialogue, too, that, like, it felt like 
these two people are not having a conversation with one another. Like, I mm-hmm. think of the scene where Scott calls her and she's trying to tell him how scared she is. And he's just like, what are you talking about? You're fine. Talk to me. And I'm like, this is not the response that anybody should have when your fiance is saying that, like, there's someone in her yard. She can't find her parents. She's frightened. She's alone. Like, he's like, okay. He, like, it's so bizarre. And I feel like so much of the dialogue as well contradicts itself constantly where like someone will say one line of dialogue and then the next line that follows it is like a complete contradiction to the first line and i'm like who wrote this fucking movie who talks like this what are we doing here at least have some decent fucking writing if you're gonna put me through this bullshit plot literally have anything yeah um yeah but to talk about also, like, quickly, the, you maybe think, remind me of it, the the choices technically made in this movie on every front, there was also so many, I don't know if you noticed them, because I, I, the first one I saw, I was like, oh, that's funny, like, LL silly, and then it kept happening, so many tilted angles, like, okay. it just kept being, like, tilting the camera, like, to the side, where I was like, for what? Like, to give me motion sickness? Like, what are we doing? It was just like, yeah, bad choices made all around, but- mm-hmm. Also, the the effects that were used were, like, all pretty much the same effect repeated over and over again. And there is one shot of blood dripping on hay that they show multiple times. Yeah. And I'm like, that is so fucking lazy. You didn't have any extra fake blood that you could do anything else with. You just have to continue to use the same shot over and over again to show me that blood is pouring well, out. Apparently, dog, they filmed it in one day. Um, yeah, I, I guess it makes sense. But also the throat slitting. The other thing is like, here's the thing. I was saying this Cornelia. I was like, the actual throat prosthetic slit like looked good, looked decent to me. I agree. The, the two issues were that fucking huge knife doing it, running, they run it across the whole throat, but then the slit is like kind of like just in the middle. I'm like, girl, the whole throat should be open. And regardless of that, like you're slitting someone's throat it's pouring blood and it was just like kind of like clued like someone with a straw on the other side like <laughs> like blowing blood through so it was just like minimal amounts of like yeah like that little like blood drip pile on the hay where i was like yeah no like if you bled that amount of blood you would not die first and foremost right. and the people being whose throats are being slit would be like gurgling and screaming and no they're just like like no audio coming from them whatsoever nothing happening no um but something i will say the last thing and then we can move mm-hmm. on to the the closing part of the episode um is a, and a better movie i would absolutely recommend over this is when the friend comes to visit and then she gets taken and she gets killed which that was another moment i think we were like oh, oh my god is she gonna get assaulted again she she gets her clothes like ripped off but she's in her underwear but she doesn't get in theory like touched sexually in any way but she is strung up to be killed um, what it made me think of, I think specifically the, the being strung up and then having her throat slit, is a movie that we both saw and liked, which was Impedigore. Um, I love Impedigore. Impedigore is a great movie um, oh because, spoiler right now for Impedigore, so don't listen to this part if you don't want to hear it. But when they go and it's obviously two girlfriends and they're in this place and then like they mistake her best friend like for her or being the girl they need to like sacrifice. And it's just like a scary fucking insane scene. That's what it made me think of. And I was like, mm. once again, would rather be watching Impedigore right now than this fucking dog shit. Um, <clears throat> That's an incredible film. Now I want to watch that. But let's move on to what everybody's always waiting for. What everybody's always waiting for. That was my bad, Tiny Tim. Um, The Q and Slay. 
the girls who cried be horror. Okay, Alex, I will mm-hmm. start with you. What was your favorite kill or practical effect from the film? Okay, as we just touched on, there's not a ton of variety in terms of the effects. Um, and you already touched on the the throat slitting, which I, I did agree was decent. Um, specifically, Peter Krause's, I thought, looked pretty good. Um, but aside from that, I enjoyed when Sarah runs into the bar and she puts her hand up on a plank to steady herself. And Gary shoots an arrow through her hand and it looks yeah. pretty good. The fake hand does look very similar to her hand when she then like pulls it out and it's just her real hand with the like the bloody hole through it i thought that Mm -hmm. was pretty decently done um not really much to to pick from but i would say the the arrow through the hand was great yeah um similarly like i had thought for a minute about picking her death because like it was really scary and reminded me of Pedagore, like when she's like being dragged through the day, like and she like has no fucking idea what's going on and you know she's not making it. Once again, and I think because I was coming off the insanely sour taste in my mouth of um the first sexual assault scene with the mm-hmm. photographs being taken, that when her cro- the 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 reasoning for her fucking clothes having to be stripped off and it has to happen to her while she's in her underwear, may- there is no reason for it. So like it kind of I was like, never mind, I'm not picking this one fuck off um so then i was just like yeah very limited pool to pick from so i literally wrote i guess greg because i was like i just wanted to see him die but once again not really a not greg jesus (laughs) greg don't listen to this gary is what i meant to say um (laughs) i didn't mean it um looking at me like what the fuck did she say I said, I love you. Um, I love you. I said, Gary. <laughs> I am. <laughs> fuck. Um, anyways, Gary is what I meant to say. I guess yeah. Gary. But ultimately, it's not a satisfying death. He's not even technically dead, I guess, given the last like second of the film. Yeah. So, yeah, that was my answer. I was just like, the, I guess more so the idea of Gary fucking finally being dead was the most satisfying thing to me. Yeah. I mean, it's what we were waiting and. An hour 27 for and we're really half got it but it's still better than i guess nothing than him just getting away with nothing all right um what's your favorite line once again hard mm-hmm. i know there was one that really tickled cornelia about being covered in tuna fish and thrown out the window yeah um Peter is that what yours is no but yeah it's like he, yeah, it's I like a weird like like I don't know like he comes in and she's like oh well, and he's like what are you gonna do like throw me and throw me outside the window well, there's like there's a specific reference where you're like has that happened to you before it's because I it's because she I almost chose the line before that when she goes Scott you fool you scared me half to death almost I'm so pleased to see you which is like that contradiction I was talking about where it's yeah. like she's so mad and then she's so happy and he goes like oh I sure it's a good thing you're pleased to see me because if you weren't would you have rubbed tuna fish all over my body and thrown me outside for the cat and I'm like what yeah bizarre bizarre um but ultimately i was like honestly the thing that brought me the most delight was tiny tim but specifically tiny tim when he would be like humming Mm -hmm. so not even when he was singing that he was like (laughs) 
Just like kind of like throwing it on. There was a lot of scenes where it was like, yeah, like it would be like some you're seeing somebody else, but you're hearing the overlay of like Tiny Tim like humming, singing. Or it was like mm-hmm. there was a scene when he was like, I think in front of the mirror, possibly like I don't know if he was putting on the clown makeup or taking it off, but he was like, <laughs> and then like he well, he goes on to say something, but I was just like kind of like the eerie, just like vibing hums of Tiny Tim once again truly kind of the only thing in this movie that i'm getting any semblance of enjoyment out of it's very leech woman of you it is very leech woman of me taking a a note from (laughs) your book love that um it's funny because i also chose a tiny tim line um okay but i'm gonna sing a little bit Um, okay here we go i'm not gonna do the full the full like like we did earlier but um i honestly it's not even like that good of a line but it's just the delivery he gives on the very last word that cracked mm-hmm. me up. So I'm just going to do the whole thing, um, okay. which is in the first scene when he she gets home and she sees that he's just like in her house and Gary's pretty much being like, get out of here. The last thing he says to her before he leaves is, everything's going to be all right, Jill. And then he starts singing, we're really glad to see you. We're really glad you're here because you see to Gary and me, you really are a dear. Ta-da. And then he kind of like floats away, but the ta-da, like fucking yeah. killed me. Like that was my performance. I was like, Tiny Tim, who the fuck are you right now? But that's I what I was it. saying earlier when it was just yeah. giving like, um, throw your one dollar bills out, girls. <laughs> like it was just like, okay, yes, no dead ass. Yeah. Um, love that, love that, love that. Um, okay, once again, picking from a very small pool of people, but if you were in, unfortunately, if you were in Blood Harvest, um, who would you pick as your partner in crime and why? Yeah, I literally wrote Slim Pickens. Um, on, on second thought here, I'm like, the cat that was locked in that drawer for two seconds, maybe? Um, yeah, girl, go off. But if I don't pick the cat, because it's not really a character, I was like, how long has that cat been in there? Is it okay? How long have the parents been missing? Literally. Um, I chose Sarah simply because I'm not going to choose any of these fucking men personally. And Jill was fine, but I, she did, she didn't do much for me. I chose Sarah mm-hmm. because she just wanted to like come hang out, chill with her friend, have some good vibes, which I'm here for. Um, she did test her customer service job, which I can relate to. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was fierce as hell that in the scene where she's being killed, when he rips all her clothes off, I was like, love that you're wearing a black silk see-through panty set to go work at a diner. Good for you, girl. Feel yourself. No, literally work. It was like the most uncomfortable looking underwire bra I think I've ever (laughs) seen in my life. And I was like, but it's, you're serving, you're serving body, you're serving sex, and I love it for you. So I'm going to go with Sarah. She can be my friend. All right. Um, I picked the, um, teddy bear that Jill kept holding the whole movie because to be fair, he was heavily featured every fucking shot. She was in her room, which was a decent amount because we fucking shot him on location. Also her bedroom, great bedroom, love for like sloped ceiling situation. Very like teenage girl in a movie bedroom core live and love. But yeah, she has this like kind of like weird teddy bear who's like weirdly proportioned. He's got kind of like a slouchy, like weird sack of a stomach. And I was like, okay, interesting. But she kept like sitting like in her like one outfit she's wearing the whole time, which is like a fucking big shirt. And like sitting with the bear in between her legs, just like holding him, talking to other people. And I was like, hey, King, 
who are you? What's going on here? And I was like, uh, yeah, I'm I'm always going to pick the stuffy before I pick any of these other bozos. Like, I would need to be clutching onto him to get through the events of this universe. I'm so mad that I chose a human being now because how iconic that you chose a teddy bear and I was going to choose a cat. So on brand for both of us. And no, literally. Oh um, there's no rules. We can do what we want. True. Um, oh. All right. All right. Well. well, I will admit that trying to think of an original question here yeah. was a struggle. So, Anya, in the mm-hmm. third act of the film, there are multiple scenes where Jill is playing into Gary being like, no, I totally see what you're doing. You're right. We can be together. Your plan was so smart. You know, trying to feed into his ego and make him think that, oh, yeah, no, I'm with you on this, which obviously does not work for her. If you were in this kind of situation, do you think that you would be able to convincingly make the trick the murderer into thinking that you're on board with them so that you can escape absolutely yes i think you could i think and we've talked about this before i think because one i think a huge advantage is if you've worked many years in customer service and you get to a point where you're like at some points you're just like like listen sometimes you you come in and you're like no i want to fight I've had, I'm in that fucking space today. Don't fucking try me. Nine times out of 10 though, because you're like, girl, I'm only doing this job because I need money in the first place. So I need to get this money, which means I have to like survive this in a sense. Like you learn to like, to be like, no matter what somebody comes up with you with, oh my God, yeah. And sell it. Genuinely, genuinely like I give a fuck. Meanwhile, in my head, I'm like, girl, you could walk out of this building right now, get hit by a bus. I wouldn't fucking shed a seat. I would maybe be happy about it. Like, girl, I don't give a fuck. But like, oh my God. And especially if I was put in a situation where it's like, I will die if I don't do this. Bitch, you've never seen a faker bitch than me. I can tell you that much. Like, oh, I would make it through. Just in general, I feel like in life, I've been in many situations where I'm like, listen, I'm, I know I'm a bitch. I have that part of me. I also think I'm, I I try to be a kind, good person at the same time, but both things exist at once for me. And I was saying to someone literally yesterday where I was like, so like, if I like you, like, you'll know, I like you. I'll be very upfront about it. I'll immediately be like, I fucking like you. Like, let's, yes, yes, yes. I'll give you that energy. But like, other than that, I'm like, there's no, I'm not going to intentionally be mean to somebody if I'm like, oh, I don't like them. or I think they're annoying. So like, even then, like that, like sense of like, because I've been in things where I have to like work with people. I have to perform with people. I have to whatever, where you're like, oh, you have to get through this, where you just have to be like, mm-hmm, yeah. And I tell you, girl, it ain't even that hard with some of these people. Like they, they think we're besties. And I'm like, really? I, you, okay, sure. So I have no doubt that if this man in theory was already like wanted me so bad, that it wouldn't take much for me to be like, you're right. I saw the light. Let's, let's go together. And I honestly, I the mistake I think on her part is trying to run. Yeah. You have a weapon immediately. You wait till his back is turned and then you fucking shove that shit right through his throat. So yeah, absolutely. I think I would absolutely be able to do it. Yeah, it's your Aries energy, I think. Thank you. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I think obviously there's like elements of, you know, you're in probably a lot of shock and there's a lot of trauma happening at the same time where like, I'm sure like emotionally and mentally you're not in the same kind of state of mind that we're in right now discussing it. So I'm sure it would be obviously incredibly different in the moment, but I think your fight and flight would kick in 
And in the same way, yeah, I have a lot of social anxiety and I think a lot of my life I've had to code switch in certain situations just to like feel like I'm not, you know, an imposter and I have to like fit in to wherever I am in the moment. And I think it's something I could very, very easily do and convince some fucking dumbass man. You can convince a man anything. So Mm -hmm. I think, but that's what you have to do. You have to get his guard down and make him vulnerable and make him not be on like the defensive and then you fucking strike. You don't just try to convince him and then immediately like turn and run. Like he's going to grab no, you. Literally. She it. was like mid talking to him. Like, yeah. oh yeah, we can tries to run. I'm like, oh, you're running on, you you're running on fucking hay. Like you're not going to make it that far. Might as well try to run away on a fucking sand dune, girl. Like, yeah, she had the right idea. I was appreciative of the fact that on two separate occasions, she tried to like yeah. feed into it, but she just didn't commit fully. But yeah, we'd both fucking do it. They'd be no match for us. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> okay. So my question, I also was like, literally girl, until right before we recorded this, I was like, Ugh, I don't fucking know. What the fuck am I going to ask? So I guess, I don't know. Uh, my question is like, if you were to pick a strange celebrity or like a fucking D-list celebrity or like something like that, like kind of like a one-hit wonder type or like some shit that – You'd love to see star in a horror movie. Who would that be? A D-list celebrity, or like a like not a to shit on Tiny Tim. I don't know what no, his no, list no, on celebrity was, but like obviously he was like a one-hit wonder kind of novelty mm. situation. Um, it's funny because I was prepared for you to ask me a, a variation of this question, but like just for anybody who would like yeah. play his role, and my answer was like who I consider to be a pretty A-list celebrity, so that, that would not work. Um, Wait, I want to know who it was. <laughs> it was Jesse Plemons. <laughs> he has incredible comedic timing, and he also can be very scary. How is that profitable for Frito-Lays? <laughs> I say that, like, on a daily basis. Oh, um, it's funny. Okay, let me rack my brain for a fucking, like, I know, low-key, I'm like, do I even know kind what my fucking answer is? Um... Well, I okay. I don't think that he's a D-list celebrity by any means. I think he's pretty popular in the UK. But I would say, because I don't think a lot of Americans maybe know him by name, maybe I can like cheat and go with him. Um, I'm going to go with one of the loves of my life, uh, Great British Bake Off co-host Noel Fielding. Okay, who is old Greg? If anyone knows, old okay, Greg. yes. Um, Fucking love Noel Fielding. He's a freaky, weird, goth comedian. I'm obsessed with him. And I feel like he would embody this kind of role very well. Wow. I love that you're taking it still as like he has to play Tiny Tim's character. I was well, just more so thinking like any right. play like this, it could be in any like like a new horror movie that comes out and they're like, oh my God, that person's right. in it? Like, but yeah, regardless. I guess I was thinking more just freak clown energy uh which is very noel mm. um, but you give me your answer if, if anyone else pops up i'll uh, i'll toss an additional answer in i mean now you're like oh like you like brought up like a host of something which i'm like now i'm like oh like what are like get, like can, like show hosts who i'd love to see which part of me is like jeff probst i would love to see jeff probst in a horror movie <laughs> but like i don't jeff probst i don't think is considered <laughs> b-list like he has a great no. career and most people know who the fuck he is uh which i guess 
most people knew who the fuck Tiny Tim was. I don't fucking know. Like, the thing is, like, they didn't set me up for an easy OG question with this damn shit. No, 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 not at all. Um, but part of me, I was like, oh, like, I was thinking, like, oh, musicians. Like, who are musicians that are, like, kind of, like, maybe a little bit, like, I don't know, like, one-hit wonders. And this person is not technically a one-hit wonder. She has a very interesting, like, history. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if you knew her by name, but you might know her if I, like, told you one of the songs. Is, um, Aisha Erotica. No idea who that is. She sings, like, that song, uh, she sings multiple songs. Um, Vacation Bible School, Literal Legend, where it's, like, icon, 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 cunt. Um, but she, like, her like her existence i was watching tiktok about this the other day is very interesting because like she made all these songs that are now like huge like fucking huge on tiktok like everybody edits to them they're like very like bad bitch coded she like wrote them in her bedroom when she was like 16 years old and like released them on myspace and it was like a lot of stuff else that happened but then she kind of like fell off the face of the earth but i and then like then she's resurfaced but she like she essentially she never wanted to be a celebrity so like she for a period of time she was like i don't want any of my old music associated with me like blah blah blah. even though like it's so fierce and it's so cunt and it clearly has served to like inspire other artists that have come Mm -hmm. that like are just like that make songs that are like about like fucking and being a bad bitch and like shit like that like the songs like are just like ear candy to me but like her aesthetic is very like that like you know those like pictures of like those fucking girls oh my god what do they used to call them there was a name for them and i can't think of it now not emo um but they'd have like the myspace pictures where they'd have like the big ass fucking hair and they'd be mm-hmm. doing like the upward angle she's like she's very like y2k but like juicy couture tracksuit like slutted the fuck out i mean that as a compliment like aesthetic where i'm like of course i'm like i would just love to see this bitch like in a horror movie like paris hilton like debatably making it much further in theory than you think she would um and hopefully also we get to use some of her iconic songs for the soundtrack like that to me is a dream um i don't she's not really comparable to tiny tim but (laughs) it's the only thing i could think of in the moment i was like yeah I'd love to see Aisha Erotica in a horror film, even though she doesn't want to be a celebrity. In the same vein, um, it made me think of reality stars. And I was like, Tiffany New York Pollard. I, I almost said that. I almost just fucking blew up my mic. Um, <laughs> I, I literally thought about Tiffany and I was like, God, she's everything. She I keep getting really the clips like, now of like the House of Villains and she's reading everybody to th- the, the Omarosa she, read. See the shit she said to Omarosa, I watched on a fucking loop. I was like... <laughs> kill her oh my I god it was so love good love tiffany the only she real good mother. thing that came out of fucking flavor of love no literally oh god i love god, her I icon love. wow Ugh. anyways well to finish out um the episode we must do our overall ratings um for the movie yeah. so alex what are you rating Blood Harvest on our beautiful scale? Uh, I think we're probably going to be very similar in this. Um, and I feel like it's yeah. been a minute since I've given such a low rating. But I'm going to give it a one star, a busty blonde, because – and the, the one star is going to solely be for Peter Krauss. I'm going to say that mm. right now. Um, because there's not a lot to enjoy here and there is a lot – 
to be angry about. So the scales are not tilted in its favor. It's not something that I feel like I ever fucking need to rewatch. The fact that I've already watched it twice is a little bit egregious to me. Um, But, you know, for horror fans and I guess Tiny Tim fans, it's, I think, something to watch, to have, you know, in your, your brain, your history of horror, check it off your list, never fucking go back to it, don't recommend it. No. Um, I think I'm also giving this a busty blonde. Um, I think it's possibly the lowest I rated anything on this podcast. The only thing that comes close is I was like, if if I rated exactly as I rated on my letterbox, um, I think the only other thing that came close was eight legged freaks, which on my letterbox, I gave one and a half stars, which now I'm like, if I watched blood harvest and then immediately watched eight legged freaks afterwards, I'd be fucking petitioning for David Arquette to get a fucking Oscar. Like (laughs) scar Joe girl. Don't you worry. I've got your back. Like, uh, yeah, there's no like, yeah, because I ate like a freak thing. I'm sure like, I mean, I won't I, I, the last time I watched it was when we watched it for the pod and I haven't listened back to that episode in a minute. So like, I don't entirely remember everything I said, but I'm like, I cannot imagine I brought the same level of anger to anything that that mm-hmm. I brought to this. So easily the worst. Um, This is I think at least I'll say for me, most of the time we, we will be like, yeah, watch the movie or like, you should see it for yourself. I wouldn't even recommend this movie. I wouldn't even recommend it. Go ahead and see it if you want to, because people are going to do it anyways, and some people might have already seen it. But, like, I certainly would not personally recommend this movie. I don't think there's really anything of value that you need from this, that you cannot get somewhere else and get a better version of it. Yeah, I think as a plot, it's not even engaging or really cohesive. It's kind of just a lot of things happening. And you're like, what? Like, it was unclear to me certain elements until I rewatched it. And I was like, oh, okay, now it makes sense. But that's not the making of a good film. You shouldn't have to watch it again to comprehend like no. the basic plot elements of it. So, yeah, definitely not. I, I mean, Eight-Legged Freaks is significantly better in my opinion. <laughs> um, But yeah, that is 1987's Blood Harvest. Um, Thank you all once again for listening. Um, Coming up so soon because now they've gotten through Halloween and November is Thanksgiving season. But it's also considered now we're in like the holiday season. So get ready for, at the very least, um, our December usually holiday themed choice um, Mm -hmm. that we pick for our viewing for the main episode. And the thing that we're always so excited about, which is one of our favorite things to record all year is our new year's Eve end of the year horror special in which each of us take five of our favorite movies. Usually there's a lot of overlap um, and discuss our favorite horror of the year, which is always really fun. It's like kind of like a game. I feel like we play all year where it's like, I'm like, I'm secretly making my list. Like which ones do I think I'll pick? Um, which sometimes I get stressed. I'm like, fuck, fuck, fuck. I need to get a good five. Um, but it's anyways. It's to be able to talk about horror that's not in the, the B-horror subgenre sometimes. So being able yes. to talk about, you know, modern, current horror is very exciting. Especially yes. when it's all stuff that we were really impressed with. Exactly. And also, make sure you follow us on Twitter if you don't already. Um, because... Also, at the end of the year, which we'll bring this up again, but we do our um, be our Screamy Awards, be, Girls Who Cry Before Screamy Awards, in which we um, the categories are based on our rating system, um, and we allow all of our Twitter followers and anybody else that sees it to vote for who should win. 
Um, and then we post the winners on our Instagram. So follow us on all social media so you can keep updated and you can get involved in that way. But other than that, all that we ask, creeps, is that you keep it creepy. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hi, creeps, and thanks for listening to another episode of The Girls Who Cried Be Horror. We'd like to take a minute to give thanks to Rachel Baldwin, who is the mastermind behind our incredible new intro music. You can follow her on Instagram at Rachel K. Baldwin, and all of her other music is available to stream on all major streaming platforms. We'd also like to thank Raymond Lowell, who's the incredible artist behind our podcast, Artwork. You can follow him on Instagram at rblowell to see all his other incredible work. And then for your two lovely hosts, Alex can be found on Letterboxd at Alex Branley, and I, Anya, can be found on Letterboxd at agarity 15 as well as Twitter. And if you'd like to keep up to date on all things related to our podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at the Girls Who Cried Be Horror, follow us on Twitter at Girls Who Cried BH, and if you'd like to send us a message very personally, you can email us at the Girls Who Cried Be Horror at gmail.com. Until next time, creeps, keep it creepy.